I know every once in a while when I'm around uh, somebody that has to read through some of these genealogies, they kind of look to me like, how do you pronounce that one? And I just say, confidently. (laughs) Nobody knows if you're right or wrong, just say it like you know what you're doing. And nobody will question it. But we're not going to read through all the names, although the the two different lists of the names uh, have have some shared names. You'll find them on some of Cain's genealogy, also some on same names on Seth's. Now, obviously, they're not the same person. but just like what happens in a lot of families. You end up with kind of the same names rotating through a little bit. But as we start back in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and when he built... A city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And Enoch was born Ired, and Ired fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jubal, or Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the lyre in the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Uh, the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son. And called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man. When they were created... When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image named Seth. And the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. And then if we continue to read on through there, you'll find very similar for each generation. It says how old they were when they had a certain son. And then how long they lived after that and the fact that they all continued to have more sons and more daughters after that that child was born. And then it would give the total of their lives lived and then it always ended with the same phrase and then they died. Except for one person. If we skip down to verse 21, it says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then you follow a couple more generations, and it ends at Noah. And then in chapter 6, in verse 1, it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. 
Our Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we just pray that You would help us to maybe see some things more clearly by the time of our end today than we do at the beginning. Help us to understand Your Word and the things that You've recorded for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray it. Amen. You know, when uh, we hadn't lived here for very long, and I, I, I really enjoyed the hockey rink when we first moved here. I thought it was a really cool thing that the city would flood that and have it there for the kids and people to, to come and, and skate and play hockey and stuff at. And, and I thought it was really cool that they kept electricity out so they had the lights at night and the warming house for them to put their skates on. And, and so we went out and bought all of our kids' skates. We never really had skated much before that. And we started learning how to skate and play hockey a little bit. And I remember one time I was over there uh, just watching. I was standing on around the outside edge, and I was watching my kids and stuff, and there was a teenager there, and he kind of skated over by, and I asked him what his name was, and he told me, and I recognized the last name from somebody else I'd met. So when he kind of came by the next time, I said, so are you like a brother or something to this other young man? Or, and he says, no, I'm a, I'm a double cousin. And he skated off. And I'm, a what? A double cousin? What's a double cousin? He must mean second cousin, I'm thinking. He must mean second cousin. I've never heard of a double cousin. And so finally he, uh, he skated back around a little bit later, and I said, hey, come here. And he came over, and I said, I said you mean like second cousin, right? He's your second cousin? He says, no, he's my double cousin. I said, what in the world is a double cousin? He says, well, if I remember right, I think it was two brothers married two sisters or something like that. So they were doubly cousins. And I said, oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, I'd never heard of it before, but, but uh, I could see that. And then, uh, and then I remember uh, a while later, several years later, talking to somebody else. And, and we're always kind of making connections, right? I mean, I've been here 21 years now, and... Uh, and and we still are finding out people that are related to people that we didn't know were related to people and, and that kind of thing. And so for the, for 20 years, we've been kind of making connections and seeing who's related to who and all that kind of stuff. And, and now that we've got, well, through Tim getting married, we're related to people here that we weren't related to before through marriage and stuff. And I remember talking to this one person and they, uh, we asked, well, what's your connection to? And you know what? They gave the... They gave like two different titles, family member titles. I don't remember what they were. But I was like, wait a minute, how can this be? Um, but what it was, there's nothing wrong with it. What it was is I think it was like a, 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 a father and a, a son or a father and a son married two sisters. or a, I mean, there's a gap between the ages or, or, or two uh, uh, a mother and a daughter married two brothers or something like that. So this, the, the, the son of one of the fathers was actually related to this one lady in two different ways. And, and you know what, when, once they explained it, I thought, oh, well, there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There isn't anything wrong with, with two brothers marrying two, two, two ladies that are a mother and a daughter or, or for two brothers to marry people that are two sisters, but you know what? You're just growing up in a different place. I just had never come across it. And so these, some of these connections and things just seemed a little odd to me, a little weird. I'd never heard of these things before. But you know what? They, weren't, they aren't really weird. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. And so it's just my thinking that had to adjust a little bit. Well, you know what? We come to the same thing when we look at the world before the flood. When we look at the world before the flood and we read this passage of Genesis, we're going to find a few weird things. We're going to find some things that are not our norm. They're not things that happen within our society. And so, uh, so we're not used to them. 
And so we got to adjust our thinking a little bit to be able to see things how they, how they were. And that's what as I look at this passage before us this morning, what is it about? It is about the pre-flood world. It's, we get to see a bit of a description of what that world was like and a few events that happened in it, the genealogies that are important, because basically what it's covering is from Adam and Eve to Noah, right? Which is basically from creation and the fall to the flood. And so this, this passage that we read is covering that period of time and gives us what we need to know concerning that period of time. So as we look at the pre-flood world, the first thing that I'd like us to recognize is that there's some things that are, well, I'd call them the old norms, right? The, 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 old way, the old way things that were normal to them that aren't normal to us. We look at it and we, it, we get lots of questions right off the bat. When, when we read about Cain killing Abel that we did last week and then God judges Cain allows him to, but allows him to live and sets him free, Cain makes a couple of statements. He makes a statement about everybody's going that sees me is going to kill me. And we kind of look at it and say, well, what does he mean everybody? Who exactly would everybody be? And then also it talks about Cain going into his wife and knowing his wife and having children. And we say, well, wait a minute. Who, who is Cain's wife? Who would he marry? And so we have questions because it doesn't quite line up with our normal experience. And so that's what we want to do this morning is we want to get some of those questions and then we want to learn some lessons that are involved in this passage as well. Now, the first thing that we're going to deal with then with the old norms is, is that idea of Cain's wife. Who would Cain have married? Because you see, in our context, we live in a time with pretty small families, and we live in a time with short lifespans, at least relatively speaking, compared to this time period in the Bible. And, and so our existence is, you know, people, I think in, in, in America, what is the average Children now, 1.6 kids per family or something. So about two kids per family. That's what was in my family. Uh, it was me and my sister. That was it. Now my family's, uh, as an adult is large compared to a lot as we had five kids that we raised, but that's pretty large in our, in our society these days. Didn't used to be. So when we read the story of Adam and Eve, what do we read? They had Cain and they had Abel. Later they had Seth. Well, not so much. We don't know that Cain and Abel were the first ones. They very likely were not the first ones. They were just the ones that were getting the focus because Cain killed Abel. Also probably getting the focus because Abel, being as as righteous as he appeared to be, was probably the one that they were kind of watching to see if he was the seed of the woman that was going to crush the head of the serpent. They're watching him as the child of promise. But then it couldn't have been him because he was killed. So then when they have Seth... Ah, this must be the replacement for Abel. This is going to be the child of promise. And in that, they're right. He will be the the lineage, the godly lineage that will lead down to a deliverer eventually, and even to the salvation in Noah's time. So when we look at it, we read it, Cain, Abel, Seth. We've got to stop and realize that wasn't the old norm. Stop and think for a few moments. Adam and Eve were created on the day that they were created. They were adults. They were given by a command by God to be fruitful and multiply and fill up the earth. And so when did they start having kids? Probably within the first year. And so think about that. You haven't been on the earth a year and you're already having kids. (laughs) 
But that's, that's more than likely what happened. And then how many kids did they have? I don't know. We do know this about Adam. We do know that when he was 130 years old, Seth was born. And seen as the replacement for Cain and Abel, who had already grown up. One of them killed the other. Cain starts a family. And then we see Seth born. And so it's 130 years later. So Adam and Eve, apparently by that time, it had probably had about 130 years worth of having kids. How many kids do you have in 130 years? I don't know. Nobody does. But it does answer the question. If you're looking for a wife for Cain, it's not hard to find a lot of people in a short amount of time. Let's do, well, let's just answer the math problem first, and then we're going to answer the creepy problem, okay? So the, 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 math, the math problem first is uh, how would there have been enough people? Who would he have selected from to get married? If, if you do this with the math and say, okay, let's say every uh, family down through this list, and, and let's put the list up there. Here's all the genealogies. Adam to Seth to Enoch to Kenan to, to got to get my glasses on, Mahaliel to Jared to Enoch. Uh, or Enosh was the first one, to Methuselah, to Lamech, and then lastly after Lamech is Noah. Okay, now now think about this. I, I did all this math yesterday. I went through and just added it up. I thought, what point does Adam die in this thing? You know what? Adam doesn't die until Lamech is 56 years old. After Lamech is Noah. He's the, he's the next. In this whole genealogy, Adam would have been alive, still alive for all of it, because he lived to be 930 years old. He would have still been alive for all of it, except for the birth of Noah. And Noah would be born about 126 years later. Which means you've got a, you've got a lot of people that are alive. If, there's almost no death rate. Right? Cain killed Abel. That's the only one that we know that's died at this point. And then um, we have Enoch, who was taken to be with God because he pleased God. And so you have no death rate. I looked up the death rates even this morning. I got curious about it. What's the death rate today? And in the world today, um, 19 people, 19 per thousand are born, 8 per thousand die. So in other words, the birth rate is about twice, the birth rate is about twice what the death rate is. Which means your population is going to continue to grow. But think about it this way. If you have no death rate, nobody's dying yet, and you have a birth rate, the population is going to grow exponentially. I mean, people just keep being born and born and born. Can you imagine? I mean, Adam has what? Great, 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 great grandkids that he gets to see. My, my family has a five-generation picture. Adam would have had a nine-generation picture just through this chosen line here, at least. It was, it's phenomenal. Five generations? Four generations. Five seems outlandish. Me, Tim. My, my great-grandma, my grandma, my mom, me, and Tim. Yeah, five. But Adam has this, this huge, uh, all these generations of people. If you take a simple math, and we're going to use very conservative numbers. Okay, let's say that each couple that's listed in this genealogy here, let's say they just have six kids which would have been, for as long as they were having kids out, that's a very small number. They were having multitudes of kids. Just six kids, three boys and three girls per family. There's some family planning for you. So they're having three, three boys, three girls per family. If they 
If each family does that, just six kids, 800 years later, within 800 years, which is the lifespan of, about the lifespan of Cain, there would have been 120,000 people on the earth. 120,000 people. Just if they had six kids apiece. And they're living into their 900s, almost all of them here. Most of them. And so they're having lots more kids than that. In fact, when you think about it, one commentator I read pointed out that this was a time before human government. And so you know where your prosperity was? And you know where your protection was? You know where your strength was? It was in the size of your family. So the bigger family you had, the more kids you had, the more property you could manage, the bigger and the safer your clan was. And so there's great incentive to have huge families. And so they did. Even up at the time, even up into Bible times that we, that we read, of course this is Bible times, obviously it's in the Bible, but, but uh, even much later Bible times, the quiver being full, as, uh, as Proverbs talks about, the quiver being full was considered to be ten. They wanted ten kids. Very different culture than what we live in. The time back when they were living 900 years, I'm sure they had well over, way more than ten kids. And so, as far as Cain being able to have the numbers of people that would be willing to kill him for what he did, or that would be willing to, to be able to have a wife, the numbers are there. Well, what about the, what about the creepy problem? What about the, the marrying your sister thing? And that's, that's a fact. Is, uh, that those first generations, at least, at least one, at least one of Adam and Eve's children would have had to marry a brother, or si- brother and sister. And, and then beyond that, it could have, if there's an age discrepancy, then it could have been marrying nieces or nephews or something like that. But the fact of the matter is there had to be, to start out the population, there had to be relationships within the family. And even when it happens to Noah, at Noah's generation, obviously Noah has three kids to rebuild the earth off of, three couples. And so they would have been marrying cousins and stuff like that. And, the, and we just have a problem with that kind of thing. You know, but why do we have a problem with it? We have a problem with it. Well, one, because the Bible tells us not to do it. When you look at the days of Noah, or I mean, not Noah, Moses, when you look at the days of Moses, he commands them. You don't marry this kind of person because they're too close of a family member. And you don't marry this person because they're too close of a family member. And, and God commands them not to do exactly what he told them to do in the beginning to get the population started to begin with. Well, why? Why is it a bad idea to marry close family members? Well, we think it's creepy, but we think it's creepy because we've lived with these understanding that marrying family members is creepy for a long time. That's why we think that way. But why is it a bad idea? Well, it's a bad idea because of birth defects. You see, if you take two people that are related, they have a much higher possibility of having the same defect within their genes. And that's when birth defects happen. You see, if if you have somebody... Two people with different genetic makeup, and they have children. If each person has defects within their genetic makeup, they're probably not the same defects. And so the stronger genes will overcome or overrule the weaker genes in that combination, and the kids will be healthy and fine. But if you take two people that have the same genetic weakness, then it gets transferred to the kids and you have birth defects. 
And so that's why we don't have close marriages, close family marriages. It has to get out a ways before you marry one another because of that danger of the birth defects. Well, all the way back at creation, remember when we were first created, we were created good. There were no birth defects. There were no genetic um, mutations at that time. But in a sinful environment, over time, the mutations are going to become more and more prevalent, more and more common. And that's why when you see at the beginning, of course, Adam and Eve's kids are going to marry brothers and sisters to start with, nieces and nephews. After that, cousins. Within two generations, you'd be down to cousins. And it's going to start to spread out quickly. But of course, they're going to have to intermarry in the family to begin with. But then by the time you get to Moses, God says, no more. You will not marry a close relative. Why? Because by that time, the genetic mutations would be prevalent enough that it's a danger to have uh, kids of that age or in that way. And so, you know what, when we look at this old norm that they had, there's things that we see that we're going to see by the time we get to the end. There's going to be giants in the land, and we're going to talk about that in, in just a few minutes here. But you know what, there's things that we see in that old norm that aren't our norm anymore. We see people living for hundreds of years. How, how could they have done that? How did they live 930 years like Adam? 969 years like Methuselah? How could they do that? Well, I think that it has to do with the flood. I think that when we read, and we'll look at that later, but when we get to a description of the flood and the things that happened, I think it completely changed the environment on the earth. And it's after that that we find God giving man permission to eat the animals, which give us the protein we need because of the harmful sun rays breaking down the proteins within our bodies. And so I think that it's probably mostly because of the environmental changes on the earth after the, what happened with the flood that our lifespans got shortened way down. But because we're used to seeing it one way, it doesn't mean it wasn't another way before. And so we, we see these things happening. We see these marrying with among children to begin with. We see the population growth. We see the large number of years. We see giants in the land. There are several things uh, in there that to us at the beginning look weird. But you know what? They're very understandable if you look at the explanations or, or what possibly happened. And not only that, they're even uh, more than probable as we look around our world. You see, these are stories that are recorded for us in the Bible, but did you know these stories were also recorded for us in other places? Now, they're not in the inerrant or the inspired Word of God in other places. We need to cling tightly to the Word of God, but we see confirmation of the things that we find in the Word of God in other places. Did you know that every culture in the world has a story of the flood? Every one of them. Did you know that you look all over the world? I just learned this part recently. Every culture in the world has a story about, has stories about giants in the land. Every culture in the world has stories about the rainbow and it being uh, some sign of blessing and promise and connected to the flood. Now the details within the stories often change. In some of the traditions or some of the cultures, you'll learn about the numbers of people saved in the flood will vary or the names of the people will vary. But those are still there. The giants in the land. Think of things like Greek mythology with the Titans. And even when we get to the Tower of Babel, and we'll focus a little more on that when we get there, but the Tower of Babel, did you know there's ziggurats like were built at the Tower of Babel all over the world? We find them in South America. We find them in different places all over the world. 
In fact, I was in somebody's home working on their house and I overheard, I think it was on the History Channel maybe or something, I overheard uh, them talking about these ziggurats that are found all over the world. And they say, you know what, these buildings all look like they're made by the same people, by the same architect. Must have been an alien. (laughs) That wasn't an alien. But you know what does account for the story? The people in Babel that were part of making of the Tower of the Babel, they got spread out. And you know what they did when they got to other places? They rebuilt the same building in all these other places. Why are there stories about giants in every culture of the world? Because they all came from one culture to start with where they knew about the giants. And so the details might become corrupted, but the story's the same. Why are there stories about the flood? Because they all descended from Noah, who knew very well about the flood. Why are there? It's just like the dinosaurs. You know, and the dinosaurs, modern science wants to tell us that dinosaurs lived like 65 million years ago, way before man. They were all dead, died out and extinct way before man. But you know what? When we look around the world around us, we see dinosaurs. I'm not saying that we see living dinosaurs. I think there might be some because reptiles keep growing all their life. So if you take a reptile and stretch out its lifespan like the lifespan of man used to be, we might still have some reptiles that used to get much bigger. So maybe they were some of the dinosaurs. I don't know. But you know what? We do see dinosaurs around uh, around our world. Here's here's a picture. This is a place, uh, Carlisle Cathedral, I think it's called, and it's a Bishop Bell. Bishop Bell, this is uh, an engraving around his tomb. Now, hopefully you can see it up there pretty good. But uh, see, here's a dinosaur. This looks like it might be like a triceratops or something, his legs, his body, his tail there. And uh, this is uh, obviously a couple of dinosaurs. It looks like those long neck versions. The light gets a little bright right there, but uh, it's kind of their necks kind of twisted around each other. And obviously, and they look like those, uh, whatever you call those, brontosaurus or whatever, the long necks. And, uh, but you know what the interesting thing is? The interesting thing is this is engraved around the edges of Bishop Bell's tomb. Now, Bishop Bell died in uh, 14, I think it's 1495. Now, the, the phenomenal thing is we found our first dinosaur bones in the 1800s. I think it was 1870. Do you realize before that we didn't have the word dinosaur? It wasn't until we found these bones, we found these skeletons, that we came up with the word dinosaur to identify what we were taught, what we, what we found. And so in the 1870s, we find the first skeletons of a dinosaur and we make the name dinosaur. Well, how, how did the engravers engrave a very accurate picture of a dinosaur on Bishop Bell's tomb if they hadn't even been discovered yet? Well, it's because dinosaurs were actually created on the sixth day along with man. And so man was familiar with dinosaurs. I'm not saying that the dinosaurs, I don't know that they lived to the 1400s. But at some point, we got rid of them, probably because who wants a T-Rex hanging around the neighborhood where your kids are growing up? At some point, point they became extinct, but lots of other animals have become extinct too. And so, dinosaurs, they were there. It's the same thing that we find in Job. If you look in the book of Job, chapters 40 and 41, you'll find two different creatures, a Leviathan and a Behemoth. And the interesting thing is, it's kind of like in Bishop Bell's tomb. With his tomb all the way around there is all these engravings of all these animals. 
And most of them you recognize until it gets to these. In other words, they were animals that he could see that day, uh, those days. Um, the same thing happens in the book of Job. At the end of the book of Job, God is correcting Job. And he says, Job, where were you when I made the mountains and the sky? Where, can you make the clouds form and rain upon the earth? He says, do you understand? And he starts asking him about all the wildlife. And he points out to Job, he says, Job, look at the donkey. Look at the ox. Look at the ostrich. Look at the hawk. Look at the, all these animals that we know. Look at the lion. And he says, Job, look at Behemoth. Look at Leviathan. And he describes them. And when you read the description, they're very obviously dinosaurs. But we have such a problem with believing that, that in some of your Bible footnotes in your Bible, some of them will say, oh, that was a hippopotamus or that was an elephant. Really? With a tail like a cedar tree? I don't think so. (laughs) They're very clearly... You see, what did we call them before we found dinosaur bones? We called them dragons, and there's stories of dragons all over the world. Why are there stories of dragons all over the world? What did the dragons look like? Well, some of them probably look like this artifact that was made many years before we found dinosaur bones. And this one was in Italy, if I remember right. Or in Israel. In Israel, they found this. Now, I'm not exactly sure. It's a little crude, but I'd say that looks like maybe a T-Rex about to take a bite out of an ox or something. But uh, obviously, some kind of a creature that we don't have yet today. This one is very clear. That is on a temple, and that temple dates to the 1400s, I think it is. This one's in Cambodia. And then there's a Hindu temple. A Hindu temple, and this one dates to the early 1800s, but again, they didn't find the dinosaur bones until 1870. So how do we get these very clear pictures of dinosaurs all around the world, in Cambodia and in the Hindu area, so maybe India, um, in Israel, in Italy? How do we get uh, Bishop Bell's temple at the Carlisle Cathedral? How do we get all these pictures, very clear pictures of dinosaurs, hundreds of years before we find any dinosaur bones? Well, it's because just like the Bible says, they were just another animal that was created on the sixth day. God could tell Job, look at the behemoth, and Job could look at the behemoth. You see, just because we're not used to seeing it doesn't mean it wasn't part of the old norm. And that's what we see at this point in Genesis, is that there was a normal that predated our normal. People did live for hundreds of years, probably because of the environmental differences. There, there really were dinosaurs walking on the earth with mankind. There, there, there really was uh, an opportunity for Cain to marry. There really were giants in the land. We see it in cultures all over our world. Well then, as we look through the genealogies and through the rest of the passage, what do we see happening within that pre-flood world? Well, we see one is the development of humanity. Uh, you find this mainly in Cain's lineage. There's, notice what it talks about when he gets down to um, <clears throat> uh, Lamech's kids. 
It says, Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah bore Tubal-Cain. He was a forger of instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And so it goes through and lists all these things. And what are these? These are accomplishments. These are developments that happened within humanity. They were developments of things, as I'd put it for that. Because we see them start to do what? Start to forge and use steel and make tools and I'm sure they're making weapons. And we see them start to make instruments and play music. And, and, and we see a lot of development happening in a short amount of time. I remember one time when I was learning about Abraham and they said that they had found, um, through archaeology, they would found Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was from. And they said they found an extensive legal library that was there and indoor plumbing. I thought, are you kidding me? I know people that didn't have indoor plumbing for a while. But you know what? When you think back to this pre-flood time when people were living 900 years, would you really live 900 years without a toilet? I mean, that gives you time to think of some of these things, right? Can you imagine? Today we call somebody a doctor or a, or a, a master craftsman if they've been in, the, in a business for a decade or longer. Can you imagine being in a business for 750 years? And that's if you got a slow start, waited until you're about 200? You know, I mean, you would, developments would happen rapidly. They would quickly uh, be, I can't imagine what it would be like to be working on a problem and think, I'm going to go ask my great, 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 great grandfather about this. All of that resource is still right there. You know, I don't know about you, but my grandparents didn't write anything down for me. I don't have anything to go check. I'm writing some things down for my kids, but it's not telling them how to do anything. It's mostly funny memories. You know, so that's not really going to be super helpful for them. But... But, you know, they still had them there to go and talk to, to get advice from, to figure out how things work. And so we do see a development of a lot of things that are being made and used very quickly uh, on the surface. But then also there's a development of this redemption. And, and that, we're not getting away from that. It's through the Bible. And that is because of the focus when we go to the other timeline. It starts out and it goes through Cain's lineage. Now it goes to Seth. Seth is born. He's a replacement for Abel. He's now the one that they're looking forward to the seed of the woman to flow through as they go through Seth. And, um, <clears throat> and so what do we see here? We see a couple things. We see the beginning of worship. And I guess maybe I shouldn't call it necessarily the beginning of worship, but, but it talks about when Seth has a, has a son, um, he calls his name Enosh, and in verse 26 of chapter 4 it says, At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So it looks like people probably talking about them collectively start to publicly worship God at that time. Now, up through Cain and Abel, it seems that God was like showing up maybe, showing up and talking to him. But at, that, at this point, I'd say that's probably come to an end. And so now their worship is a little bit more like we experience it today, where God's not showing up in person, but, uh, but we gather together and we worship Him and we celebrate Him uh, through the ministry of His Holy Spirit. And so uh, we see that. But then we also see when we get to Enoch. So we follow kind of the godly line 
And that goes down to Enoch. And it says about Enoch that he walked with God. And so God enjoyed him so much that instead of him facing death, God just took him. It says that he walked with God and then he was not because God took him. Well, if we look at Hebrews chapter 11, we learn about Enoch that it's by faith that Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And it makes the point in Hebrews 11 that it's because of his faith in God that God took him to be with himself. And so we, we see that as well. So we have the development that's happening here. We have the development of things that's happening rapidly. We have the development of the Redeemer where God is tracing, giving us another genealogical line, which is going to lead to Noah. You know, the interesting part of that is if you go to Matthew chapter 1, he starts off with a genealogy there. And he traces the genealogy to Christ. That's why these genealogies are important. Because he's tracing the seed of the woman. He's following that, that trail of redemption that God is providing for us. And it's going to end up leading, by the end of the Bible, or by the time we get to the book of Matthew even, it's going to end up leading to our Redeemer, which is Christ. Well, lastly, we also see the depravity of humanity. The depravity of humanity. You know, as we look back at Cain's ungodly line, we see it fairly evidently. The fact, when I would, if I would kind of label what I see in Cain's genealogy, um, I would, I would list it as very self-centered accomplishment. In other words, they accomplished a lot of things. They accomplished. Instruments for music and, and iron and, and bronze and that they were making tools and, and things out of. And, and they seem to be accomplishing a lot, but it also seems to be a lot of self-serving accomplishment. Now, I don't mean that inventing things is wrong. In fact, I think it's part of God's command when he told Adam and Eve to exercise dominion over the world to kind of unlock its secrets. I think that that's commanded in there. So those are good accomplishments. But at the same time, we see, uh, we see the attitude that it started with, with Cain, very self-serving in taking his brother's life. And then we see seven generations into it, we see Lamech. And Lamech is making this boast. He makes a song out of it. He says, I've killed somebody. This young man did me wrong and I killed him. And he says, if God said that Cain would be avenged sevenfold for his killing his own brother, he says, I'll be, av- I'll be avenged seventy-sevenfold. If anybody tries to come and take care of me. And I think it's just a proud, arrogant song saying, I rised up and I killed, I took this life. And, and if anybody's got anything to say about it, I will avenge on, upon you. And so uh, we see that, that kind of self-serving, that wickedness. In fact, one of the commentators even pointed out that's probably why we also see polygamy. We see polygamy. Now he's not content with one wife, going to take two. And it probably had a bit of a practical bent on that too. If you have two wives, you can have more kids faster and build your family, build your clan bigger so that nobody can bring a vengeance on you because you have the number of people to stand up and fight and protect. And so we see a very self-serving lineage. Contrast that with with, with, uh, Seth's. In Seth's lineage, when you get down seven generations from Seth, who do you run into? Enoch, the one that walks with God. But unfortunately, even the godly line, the line itself won't be corrupted because you'll have righteous Noah at the end. 
But all the other, the Bible says they'll get to where their thoughts are only evil all the time by the time you get well into Noah's life, which is well over, over 500 years into Noah's life. And so the world will become depraved. It will be corrupt. And then it gets added to, it gets added to by this thing that happens. And what is this thing? It says the sons of God go into the daughters of men and they take his wives, whoever they want. And then they have as an offspring of this relationship is these demons. Or is not the demons, these, uh, these giants. And what exactly is happening there? Well, to be honest with you, I kind of saw it from two different perspectives down through the ages. I remember thinking before, sons of God, if you read the book of Job, it talks about the sons of God appearing before God, and Satan also was among them. And so it's describing, it's using the term to describe angels. If you look in the New Testament, it talks about us being the sons of God, and it refers to people. And so context has to be the key. Well, if you look at it today, some people will say, well, this is the talking about the godly line, the sons of God, or the godly line of Seth. And they marry with the ungodly line of Cain. And uh, I don't think that that's the best answer. I don't think that's what's ha- happening here at all. Now, for a couple of different reasons. Is one, why would that produce giants? It doesn't make any sense. Two, why would the godly men go take ungodly wives? It wouldn't make the godly men very, seem very godly to me. And so I'm not sure what, what, why that would happen. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense. Even though I did hold to that position for a while, I ended up coming back around to this other position, and that is that the sons of God that it's referring to here are fallen angels. You know, when Satan rose up in rebellion against God, some of the angels followed, about a third of them followed Satan, and they became what we call demons. And then I had this question in my mind. I remember looking through and reading about demons a little bit and finding that, Obviously, demons are on the earth, right? Because Jesus cast demons out of people. And so demons are here on the earth. Just like Peter says about Satan. Satan is a roaring lion prowling around this earth seeking whom he may devour. But then the Bible also talks about these demons being imprisoned. Fallen angels being held in, like in prison in a pit. And I think, well, which are they? Are they in prison or are they on the earth? Seems to be both. Why would some of them be in prison and others be on the earth? And I got my, just reading along my Bible one day, I found the answer. Jude chapter, there is no chapters in Jude, there's just one. Verse 14 and 15. It says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So this is, uh, this is Jude uh, speaking against the people of his day. This just shows us the depravity of the people that we're getting to uh, and the, the message that Jude had for them. And if you look back in Jude 6, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority... But left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And so he talks about these angels, and what did they do? Who did not stay within their own position of authority. They did not stay within their own realm. They left their realm. And how did they leave their realm? They left their realm by marrying, taking the daughters of men to be with them. 
Second Peter says the same thing. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. But again, not all of the fallen angels are in hell. Only some of them. And it's these ones. First Peter chapter 3 says, In which he went, talking about Jesus when, while he was dead, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And so the, the point, I guess the point is, when we put all those things together, we see something very clear. That there are demons that are in bondage. They are in chains. They are in hell today. Which ones are in hell? It's the ones that left their proper sphere, their proper realm, their proper authority that they were created for. When did this happen? It says it happened during the days of Noah. Well, what do we see happening during the days of Noah, which would be described as fallen angels leaving their sphere? The sons of God went into the daughters of men, and they produce these giants. Now, what are they trying to accomplish? They're trying to corrupt the bloodline. They're trying to get rid of this idea of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. They're trying to pollute the bloodline so that they can get rid of the, this idea of redemption, this redeemer. So we see that there's giants in the land. And there's, it says that there's giants, Nephilim, they're, they're called. The descendants of Anak, they're called later. And you know what? We find that even after the flood. God destroys the world with a flood. We find it also after the flood. And what do we find? Genesis 9.19, it says, These three were the sons of Noah. From these the people of the whole earth dispersed. So we know that after the flood was Noah, his, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That is what it took to repopulate the earth. So how would we get giants after the flood, after everybody's been destroyed in the flood except for Noah's family? And we know that fam, Noah's lineage is pure. Well, I think we have our answer. In Numbers, we see that there's the giants. So, so they, they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. This is when he sends the spies into Canaan land, into the promised land. And they come back and they say the fruit's good, but that land devours its people. That's a wicked place if you think about it. That land devours not its enemies, its inhabitants. That land devours its inhabitants, and there are huge people over there, he says, the descendants of Anak, the Nephilim. The giants are there, they said. We don't want to go there. So there's still giants after the flood. How, how in the world did we get giants after the flood? Well, the Bible actually tells us if you follow on. We're not going to look up all the references because we're out of time. But what we find is, we know that Noah and his sons, their lineage is pure. But if we start to trace down Goliath, Goliath was Goliath and Og, we know are a couple of the last giants killed by the line of David. Goliath and Og, if you trace them down, Og, he comes from the Amorites. And the Bible tells us the Amorites are the descendants of Canaan. Canaan is the descendant of Ham, one of the sons of Noah. Goliath is a Philistine. Philistines come from Canaan. Canaan from Ham, one of the sons of Noah. So in other words, some of the genetic makeup for the giants, for them to survive after the flood, must have came through the wife 
of Ham. Some of their marrying and, in, and, and that kind of stuff must have, must have been part of the genetic makeup of Ham's wife because the genes, some of the genes made it through the flood. And they're traced through their family lineage at that time. So at any rate, the point I'm trying to make is this. That as we look, as we look at this, the world started off with a lot of progress, a lot of development in the things that it created. But you know what? The things that were really important, some there was a line of redemption that was maintained, but eventually the things that were really important, we would become more and more depraved to the point where God would say, I'm tired of it. I'm sorry that I made man. It's time to wipe it out and start all over. More and more depravity. You know what? When you think about it, maybe Genesis in this passage isn't as far-fetched as we started out looking at it. Because I would have to admit in our own society, I don't think we're to the point where we're only evil all the time, do you? And I am thank God that we're not down to just one person, Noah. I think we got a lot of righteous people. But at the same time, I can see within our, within our world a lot of accomplishment, a lot of invention, a lot of, I mean, look at what you carry around in your park, pocket with that smartphone. But you know what? Those aren't the more important things. I also see a lot of depravity within our world that seems to be growing as well, which will set us up for the final judgment, just as that same kind of, same kind of thing. All that accomplishment, but coupled with depravity, led to the judgment of Noah's Ark. We live in a time, a lot of accomplishment, deeper and deeper into depravity, we'll face the final judgment that will come as we look toward the return of Christ. Our Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the reality of, the, of your word, and not only that, but for the truth of it. Thank you that we can see even, not that your word needs it, but, but confirmation of it as we look around this world and see writings, and other accounts of, I think of Gilgamesh and the Titans and Lord, I think of other cultures that all have the same stories. The, the details change a little bit, but, but the flood and the rainbow and the dinosaurs and the, the ziggurats. And Father, we're just thankful for the truth of your word and we're thankful for the warnings that it contains. And as you look back and many times and warned people, even up into the New Testament, the time of Jude and the writings of Peter, where he said, look back and look back at those demons. And where they left the position that God had for them, they went the wrong direction and look at where they're at. Lord, help us to learn from those lessons. Help us to walk with you. And Lord, we're forever grateful of that thread of redemption that we can follow through your word that leads right to Jesus Christ and for the salvation that we get to experience in him. It's in his precious name that we pray it. Amen.